Hello, and welcome to the Church Newtown Square podcast. If we can serve you in any way, or if you'd like to learn more about our church family or the Acts 29 network, please visit us at churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q dot org. And now, let's listen in to today's teaching. We've been studying the book of Psalms. Uh, the first book, Psalms, is broken up into five books, as we learned a few weeks ago. And so we're just going to take some time and study a few Psalms, a sampling, a smorgasbord, uh, as you will, of some Psalms to give us a taste of the first book. Uh, we mentioned that Psalms is the whole book, a progression. It is a progression of uh, psalms that are arranged to encourage Israel to remember that God is her king and that the glory of God and his kingdom will eventually come to fruition, which it does, and we know that, that it does through Jesus Christ. But as we go through the psalms, we want to recognize that the psalms are there, not just thrown together, but they're intentionally placed so that we can understand that this is intended to remind us, as it was intended to remind Israel, of the faithfulness of God, and especially the faithfulness of God to his anointed king, and that the instructions of the Lord are meant to give us life and flourishing. Now, all of us, I think, would agree that life is full of all sorts of dangers and enemies and conflict, Uh, and just because you're a Christian does not mean that any of us are exempt from any dangers or conflicts or even enemies of this world or in this world. In fact, Jesus promised, in fact, that uh, dangerous circumstances are never going to go away in this life. So the question is, how might we gain courage? How do we gain courage when everything seems to be falling apart around us? How do we gain confidence that everything is going to be just fine? How do we live with the courage and the confidence of a king? The courage... And the confidence of King David came from knowing where true safety could be found. Psalm 1 points us to the Lord's instruction for human flourishing and total well-being. We said last week that Psalm 2 was the coronation song that reminded Israel's king that the Lord and his anointed will always be enthroned. That the sovereign God of Israel will remain in control. And this morning, I want you to see in Psalm 11 a reminder again through David of those truths and how they still apply for us today. Tremper Longman, who's a a commentator on the Psalms, and in this one in particular, I think sums it up well. He says that this Psalm serves as a model prayer for worshipers who come after David who find themselves tempted to flee from danger and threat. Tempted to flee from danger and threat. So our Psalm this morning, I want to show us three things. One, our, our need for refuge our need for refuge. Two, I want you to see how we find refuge. And third, I want you to know where true refuge can be found. Our need for refuge, how we find refuge, and where true refuge can be found. Now, Psalm 11 is a reminder that everyone, even a king, is in need of refuge sometimes. I don't want to spend too much time uh, on this first point, mostly because uh, I want to uh, just point out just a few things, that running from danger is normal. I know some of you right now, as maybe I, I can't help but think about Monty Python. Is that, if you're in my, I mention Monty Python quite often, and uh, if you were to think of the, the, the famous line of Monty Python, is you, you're, you're thinking, what? Run away, run away. Anybody, Monty Python? Can I? I see those two hands. All right. 
I do not know my audience. Running away uh, is normal from danger, at least. David was in here some kind of danger. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, it says that he's instructed to escape to the mountains. He needs to escape something. David was in some kind of danger, and whether it was physically or politically, uh, whether enemies were coming after him to kill him, uh, or there were opponents who wanted to grab his seat of power, uh, whether any of these things were true, whether it was just so words that were spoken or physic, physical danger, David was in trouble. David was instructed or counseled to run. Now, David's no stranger to circumstances. If you know a little bit about David's life, if you're new to the Christian faith and you want to find out more about David, his story is in First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament. For those of us who grew up, we know that David grew up as a young shepherd, he would face dangers of uh, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. He would uh, face Goliath, the story of David and Goliath. He said that every danger that he faced as a young shepherd boy prepared him to face Goliath, this nine-foot warrior who wanted to squish him like a bug. Even when he got into his kingdom, he was threatened by his own son at one point. Before he got to his kingdom, his father-in-law wanted to kill him. His very unstable, very emotionally driven father-in-law, Saul, tried to pin him to a wall with a spear one time. How about living up in that household? Even his own son, Absalom, would eventually lead a rebellion against him. David is no stranger to danger. His advisors, his close friends, those who have his ear, they counsel him to run. They, they counsel him, fly. Verse 1, fly to the mountains. Everything is falling apart, and now is the time to escape if he wanted to survive. The sense here, the, the, the tense that you're supposed to feel is that the foundations of everything around him are, are eroding. Law and trust and civility are, are going away. If David doesn't do something right now, his advice, if you don't do anything, if you don't run away, you're going to be in danger. There's a sense of hopelessness and impotence here. And so the question that is posed to the king in verse 3, it says that when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? In other words, David, what happens if you, don't, if you don't run? What happens when everything goes to chaos? What happens if the civil society around you deteriorates? What happens when things break down? Because that's what's happening, David. you got to get out of here. And if you are taken out, everything is going to fall apart. The basic of common life, civility, rule, and law, and social order are breaking down. David, you got to run. Chaos is coming. What can you do when everything seems like it's falling apart around you? When the soundtrack of your life is, uh, one of my favorite summer songs is, uh, it's on the soundtrack of uh, Good Morning Vietnam, but I, I listen to that because it's like a great 1960s summer song, and it's uh, um, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Does anybody know what song I'm talking about? No? I have a song every week, by the way. If you're visiting with us, there's usually a song that I have. There's nowhere to run to, baby. Nowhere to hide. Does everybody like, how many of you like that song? All right, four of you. I'm, I'm doubling as I go. Yeah, there's nowhere to run. Like, where do you go when there's, there's trouble? When things begin to fall apart, when we lose control of life, when uh, things at work are breaking down, when maybe perhaps even relationships are, are beginning to get, be a bit conflicted, when we're fearful of things, Fear can set in and cause this panic, this anxiety, 
when a situation like this arises. I think all of us can identify with that, right? We have, we have in some way faced something stressful that has caused us to panic and wonder, what's going to happen? What do I do? Where do I run? Now, most likely, none of us are going to face a kingdom that's going to fall apart around us. We are not going to be in a seat of power. Uh, some of you may be disappointed, but I can guarantee probably one of you is never going to be the president of the United States. That, that is a, it is a rare thing to be in the seat of power. God raises leaders up as he sees fit for each nation, but we are probably not going to face something that David faced like this, where the kingdom is in danger. Or its descent into total anarchy is almost near. But we face something like it, right? We can face some things that cause us to want to run away, to flee from danger, to, to move towards safety. And that is a good thing. God has designed us to want to be in safe places. He, he has not created us. His original plan was not to create us where we're always kind of like on our guard. No, he, he wanted us to be in a place of rest and of peace and of fruitfulness. That's why resting from work is a good thing. If you work too much, if you just kind of are ramped up all the time, you will eventually burn out and you will... Uh, psychologically, emotionally, even physically break down. And that is not the trajectory of life. But yet sometimes we cannot escape the fact that things will come into our life that we can't control, that will cause us to panic and fear and wonder what is going to happen. And there's a reason for that. We are always in need of refuge. It's just a, it's just a human reality. Humanity is in need of rest and in a place of safety place where we can find refuge. That's why it's good to take a Sabbath rest, God says to Israel. Take a rest. It's good to go on vacation. If you never take your family on a great vacation, man, you're just, you're, 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 you need to take your family on a good vacation. Whatever you can afford, go on a good vacation. Go what you can, go away. Stop doing the normal things you do and pull away and rest. Enjoy things that you don't get to normally enjoy. Find something to do to recreate. Find refuge because life is difficult. King David knew that. We all know that. God knows that. And the stresses and the dangers of life, they creep in. We need some place to go and rest from these dangers for our well-being. Because life throws us kind of all sorts of things. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure. I hate those books. I hate choose-your-own-adventure books. Because every time I would use to choose the one, that was the one where I just, oh, you fell off a cliff and died. It's like, oh, that was page four. I, let me try again. You just got eaten by a, a snake. You, you died on the Oregon Trail. I'm like, I hate these books. And I never, I, I always tried them and I'm not good at making decisions where in those books I would always be the hero. It just never worked out for me. But God gives us instruction. He has designed us to move towards safety, even our fight or flight mechanisms. Some, some of us recognize that when we get into those, those uh, when we are in the woods and we hear something and we're hiking and it, we see a bear, some of us have fight or flight where we, we're ready to fight the bear. Some of us run at the sight of a spider. <laughs> we scream and we yell. We have a, a lower threshold. But at the end of the day, running from danger is totally appropriate. Why? Because God knows that we are in need of safety. We need refuge, point number one. We have a need for refuge. I don't think that I need to belabor that point. But the question is, how do we find it? How do we find refuge? 
uh, when I was growing up, I used to make shelters. I think boys make shelters, right? We make forts in the woods. Uh, sometimes I'll walk into somebody's home and I'll see, hey, what's that? Oh, those are two chairs with, with uh, blankets draped across and you have like pillows, couch pillows. In our house, we used to take couch pillows and we the, the Ikea couches, which have more pillows than anybody needs. And then you would just pile them up and that would be our fort. That'd be our shelter. Now, granted, it was it was. Uh, precipitously hanging on the balance of two chairs that at any moment one more pillow could collapse. But it didn't matter. When you were in there, you were in your cave. I don't know what girls do. I think they build castles, princess rooms, but eventually they own the house, right? So that's there. That's there. They, they have the whole house, and so they get refuge there. And anybody that messes up with that refuge, you just either leave the house or just fall in line. Am I right? Let's just be honest about that. There's a sense of security and of safety and of refuge, a place where we know that we're safe. I, one time, uh, went camping with my friend uh, John uh, above, uh, just below 14,000 feet, and we were in an REI two-man tent. And it was the first time I had been camping out in an REI two-man tent. They're not very big. They fit only two men. And I remember being up on the mountain line, and and while we were sleeping, all of a sudden, the loudest crack of thunder or of lightning, it was, there, was no, there was no distance between the light and the sound. It was, it was near us. And then all of a sudden, I started to hear the, the pelting of the hail. And then I saw the rain. And then our tent started going like this. And at times, I thought the tent was going to be ripped to shreds by the wind. Uh, I thought we were going to, if it wasn't the wind that was going to blow us off the mountain, it was going to be the lightning striking us and burning us to death. And if that didn't happen, once that passed, I was pretty certain that the bear was going to put his hand through it and eat me. None of that happened. None of that happened. And my confidence in REI's two-man tent grew. And that is what happens when we, when we seek refuge in something, and it gives us safety. And it gives us rest. We turn to things that we rely upon, which bring us comfort, which bring us an escape, which bring us protection from something harmful. David is in trouble, and his advisors say, run to the mountains. Escape to the mountains like a bird. There are all sorts of mountains that we run to. There's various ways, things that we run to that will give us safety or shelter or things that we think will give us safety and shelter. In fact, later, there's a psalm that says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains or to the hills. Where does my help come from? Mountains, in that context, were the place in which Baal worship was, that uh, the psalmist is looking to the mountains as everyone is going to the mountains where they're worshiping idols. That's what Israel did. Israel began to worship other gods for their safety and their refuge. I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come? My help comes from you maker of heaven and earth, who is Psalm number two, remember, is enthroned where? Not on the mountains, but in the, we'll see that a little later, in the heavens. Israel turned to idol worship. We turn, what mountains do you turn to? Recently, Aaron Rodgers was made, I think, spokesperson of the psychedelic mushroom movement or something like that. Did you, did you hear that? He is an avid, he's an advocate for psychedelic transcendental meditation where he just consumes things that make him see stuff and now he's, he's enlightened and now he's the spokesperson or at least a representative or I don't know, like the, uh, the I don't know what he is, but I read the article that it is. I was like, that sounds like a crazy job being a quarterback. Do you really need to do sort of that, that stuff? 
But that's just a small sliver of the things to which we run to. Because what refuge is, for Aaron Rodgers, refuge is a drug. Refuge is, might be wealth or money. Refuge might be uh, the right relationship. Refuge might be for us, uh, you name it, drugs, sex, alcohol, the right school, the right person. You know, it just keeps going on and on. And then when one breaks down, we move to the next. And if that doesn't create refuge, then we go to the next thing. That's the human nature. We keep running to things to find safety, but we never find true safety there. That's what refuge is, safety. Refuge is safety, it's shelter, it's security, it's a shield. The Hebrew word hasa is the derived uh, word for trust. It's just 34 times in the Psalms, you'll see either refuge or safety or trust. Trust. And that's the underlying sense of the prayers in the Psalms. And the sheer repetition of this need in the Psalms, and here where David says, I am going to trust in the Lord, I'm going to take refuge in the Lord, means that they knew, the psalmist knew, and David knows that it is difficult to trust things. And so the thing that we trust, we want it to last. We want it to actually be a place that we can trust and most of the time, the prayer in the Psalms is that God will not abandon or shame those who make him their refuge. There, what do we trust in? What do you trust in? What have you trusted in? Can you think of something recently like, well, that didn't work out? For me, it's super easy. It's Bitcoin. <laughs> it's, I, you know, like that didn't work out for me. And I didn't buy Bitcoin. It's too expensive. I bought something cheap. And now it's worthless. And in a greater level, we often trust in things that fall apart and we're disappointed and we continue to make the same mistake over and over and over again. We try to find refuge in either self-discovery. We try to find refuge even uh, through the advice of others. That's what David, David is getting advice from others. They're saying, run to the mountains, run, run this direction, run up there and find safety. We try to figure it out ourselves. But again, this is why we're, I want to lay for you a foundation. This is why the psalmists put the psalms at the beginning that say the instructions of the Lord are what lead to flourishing, right? So, so every psalm that we read after this is going to be like, where do you run to for truth? Where do you find flourishing? It's only in the instructions of the Lord. David, go to the mountains, Everything is, is deteriorating. Where can true refuge be found? David is in need of refuge. We're all in need of refuge. How do we find refuge? Well, you either you find it yourself or you take the advice of others or you know what David knows, which is that the refuge can only be found in the Lord. What's David's response to but Look at verse one. It's very, he starts, so this is, he's not writing this in the midst. Maybe this was part of his journaling. It's interesting to think about when the Psalms, these poems were written by David. Um, there's a book that I had a while ago. I lent it out, which is, if, I don't know who I lent it to. Don't you hate that when you lend something to somebody? The, the worst thing a pastor can do, honestly, who wants, is to lend a good book and forget who he lent it to. Because in this instance, I wanted it back and I have no clue who has it. But here's what it did. There was a guy in uh, the 60s who took 
First and Second Samuel, the life of David, and then as best as he could from what he did, he historically put the Psalms in the chronological order of David's life. So you could read the story and then see when he wrote these Psalms. It was fascinating, and I don't have that book anymore. But this Psalm was written after the fact that David was in trouble and found refuge. And the first verse says, I have taken refuge in the Lord which means that he found refuge. He wants you to say, I have taken refuge. Let me tell you what happened. How can you say to me, escape to the mountains like a bird? How can you give me this counsel when the wicked are coming against me? No, I'm, going to do, I'm not going to do anything, David essentially is saying. I'm not going to do, do anything. It could be because if the Lord doesn't do something, I am in trouble. I'm in serious danger. The Lord must act. He must be the one to rescue me. I'm not leaving the ship. I'm not leaving the ship. If you tour the USS New Jersey in Philadelphia, uh, you'll walk through that, and on the wall near the, the, where the sleeping quarters are, you'll see a, a sign that has a list of nine instructions of what to do if there's a breach in the hull. The last instruction is, by the way, don't give up the ship. Do not leave the ship. Go down with the ship. The safety of the ship depends on the sticking around to do all that you can to save the ship. David understood and knew that the Lord was the one who fought the battle. That's what he did with Goliath. He's like, I'm going to take this rock and I'm going to shove it in Goliath's forehead. And the only reason I'm able to do that is because the Lord's going to fight the battle for me. I don't need all of this armor that you're giving me. I'm just going to do what the Lord has done. And he, you know, he just tells me to trust him and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, I'm going to win this battle. David trusted in the decrees of God. He trusted in the promises of God. How does David say, I'm not going anywhere? Well, it's because he believed that the promises to him were going to happen. David was promised that he was the anointed king of Israel, that his son would sit on the throne. And David is pretty certain that if I don't have a son yet, then I'm not going anywhere. Because if the promise to me is such that you are going to have a son, then I need to see my son sitting on the throne, and until that happens, God has to, uh, am, am I seen fluttering and flicking? Are we going to get struck by lightning? That's happening, right? Did, you're hearing that? Okay, all right. Because some of you are starting to go like this. I'm like, I'm like, what is that? All right. The Lord, the Lord, what is the Lord doing here? David's trusting the Lord. He's sticking around. Look at verse 4. He says, where's the Lord? Again, this is in connection. The Lord is enthroned. The Lord is enthroned in the heavens. The Lord is in his holy temple. What is he doing? His eyes watch. The Lord is watching. All of this chaos, all this, God has promised good to me, says David. He has instructed me to listen to his words, and his words are to trust him. The Lord is above all things. He's at 35,000 feet. He can see everything. Recently, I flew back from Cleveland from a conference, and I was reading, and all of a sudden, I looked up, and I just, at that moment, happened to look and see my favorite place in all the world, which is Raystown Lake. It's south of Penn State. It's an hour. You can tell because it's a zigzag. And I was like, hey, that's a cool lake. I wonder what, that's Raystown. And you know what I did? I followed the, the route that we take from home to Raystown backwards, and I could see the whole trip. 
I saw all of it. I saw the turnpike to Harrisburg, from Harrisburg to Downingtown. I saw the quarry that's right behind my house. And then I even saw my neighborhood because I was so high and it was so clear, I could see the whole thing. And what takes three hours to go from Westchester to Raystown took me 20 minutes to see the whole path. And I thought, isn't that amazing? I can see up here the entire path. And those little cars down there, the perspective from a car windshield is different than the perspective from a plane windshield. In the same way, God sees everything. He knows the plans that he has for us. He knows the plans that he has for David. Why? Because he sits enthroned in heaven. He's in control. He's not squirming. He's not worried. But what is the Lord doing to David? David says he's doing something. What is he doing? Look at verse, the end of verse 4. His eyes watch. His gaze tests, examines everyone. Verse 5, the Lord examines, tests the righteous, but he hates the wicked and those who love violence. Why is God bringing this into David's life? He's bringing it, David says, to examine him, to test his heart. That's what God does. God tests us. He wants to prove that he is a faithful source of refuge in our lives. Why do we test things? We test things to see what, what they're worth. We test things to see whether they can withstand pressure. We test things to see whether they're worth. And when they break down, if it's worth us fixing, what do we do? We make the changes. We, 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 we secure it. We make it stronger. Then we test it again. And if it holds under tests, if it holds under the pressure, then we have something that's worked and that is worthwhile. That is what the Lord does to us. He refines us. He tests us. He wants us to run to him, and he wants us to see our weaknesses. And then he says, do you see this? I want to make you stronger. Have you ever been so ill that you're not sure if you're going to return to work? Have you ever been so poor you're not sure how you're going to pay? What do you think those things do? You either trust the Lord and run to him and, and ask him, Lord, help me through this circumstance. And for those of us who have been through that, you know the testimony is the Lord what? Provided, got me through. In the same way, he tests the wicked. He tests us to see every single human being whether or not they're going to turn to him. And the Lord gives us instructions. When this happens, here's what you can do. Trust me. When things around you are in chaos, look to me. Trust me, David. And so that's what David does. You want your triage nurse in the ER to be battle-tested. Am I correct? If I'm bleeding profusely out of something that I shouldn't be, I really want my doctors and nurses to know exactly what to do under pressure. Don't you? If that plane starts to dip and they tell you to put that seat, I, I'm encouraged by the fact that my pilot has been tested. In the same way, the Lord who is enthroned in heaven says to David, will you trust me? And David says, how can you say to me, run anywhere else but to the Lord? A, a really graphic, what happens when you don't test something and you just rush through with your own plans? Well, we saw what happened to the Titanic, that Titanic uh, submarine. Do you know why it imploded? The reason was is because the company decided that to test it according to the worldwide standards would slow its 
exploration down. It was not according to the spirit of exploration, and all of them died because the, the fiber in the submarine was not tested like everything else was. They rolled the dice. Why? Some of us, let's be honest, that's what we do with our lives. We roll the dice. I can figure this out. Yeah, I know this guy's pressuring me to be physically intimate with him, but, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to see if this kind of works out, if this satisfies me. Sure, I'm gonna, I'm have a, I have a sneaking suspicion that this job is just not above bar, but I'll tell you what, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice and I'll figure it out, I'll work it out. I know tensions at home are a little bit tight, but I'm, 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 I'm too busy with work, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just work a little bit longer, I'm going to do these things, and I'm not going to heed the Lord's instruction on how to bring order and peace and security and safety to my home. We do it all the time. And discipline is never easy. We never like it when the Lord brings things into our lives where we're just like, ah, that does not feel good. But he's not doing it. The, the writer of Hebrews says, do not despise the discipline of the Lord because the Lord disciplines, he tests, he examines, he makes more right those whom he loves because whom he loves, he rescues and he saves and he brings life. God is not trying to be an abrasive God who just wants to nitpick at your life and make your life miserable. No, he's, he, he's constantly moving us towards life and to flourishing. He's like, listen to my word. And when you don't listen to his word, he, he brings things so that you will. And he just keeps nudging you until on that very last day, when you cross that threshold from life to death, then death to life again, you see his face, you all of a sudden will recognize and experience, I'm awfully glad that I have had this God in my life bringing me to the end. I'm glad that I had begun to listen to David experience that. That is what David is resting on. That's what his foundation is, that the wicked who do not listen to the instruction of the Lord, it says the Lord examines, verse 5, the righteous, but he hates the wicked and those who love violence. The way that that's constructed, basically what that is, is that as he's tested everyone, what do we do when we hate, with some, hate something? If we've tested Brussels sprouts, <clears throat> Brussels sprouts, think of whatever you hate. Think of something that you've tried over and over and over again. Trust me, I promise you, whatever, you're going to love this dish. And as a kid, you're like, I'm not going to love stewed tomatoes no matter how many times you put cheese and macaroni in it. They make me gag. Stop. Has anybody eaten stewed tomatoes? Can I see some hands? Okay, okay, eight of you. Eight of you. I'm tripling. I'm... What do we do? We discard it. We, we reject it. We, we, we've tried it. We've tried it. We've tried it. We don't like it. We hate it. The Lord tests everyone, and when there's response to the Lord, it endears his heart towards them. When there's an utter rejection and a sense of, I don't want you in my life, then what does the Lord? The Lord's wrath is the removal of his face, the turning of his face. How do you know someone doesn't love you? How do you know that relationship is broken down? Is when they have turned their face, when they ghost you. When you see the, the dots pop up on your Apple messaging, and then they disappear and you never hear from them again. Some of you are younger, you know what I'm talking about, right? I know that you read that message and then you never hear they ghost you. Hating something from the Lord is he has examined the wicked and they love violence. 
And so David calls in verse 6 to let God bring judgment upon them. So reference to Sodom and Gomorrah is often in the Old Testament an image of instant judgment for those who reject the Lord. The Lord is patient, is patient. He tests, and then eventually he discards it. He says, you need to be removed because you're not listening to these words of instruction. Why? Look at verse 7. Because the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. And David says, the upright will see his face. What makes a man upright? What makes a man upright? What gives us the confidence that we will see? What gives David the confidence? How does David know that he's going to see his face? And I've wrestled with this because this is, uh, Moses was a friend of God, and, and Moses asked God to show him his glory. And, and, and God says, I, I can't show you all of my glory because no one can see my face and live. But what I'll do is I'll hide you in this cleft, and as I pass by, I'll put my hand over you, and I will pass by, and I'll, I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger, gracious and kind, and bounding in steadfast love. I'll, pa- I'll, I'll say my name, but you can only see my back, because if you were to see my face, you would die. But yet David here says the upright, the upright, the righteous will see his face. The other thing that I wrestle with is, is in Romans, it says there is no one, even in, Psalm, in the Psalms, you'll see... No one is righteous. There is no one who does good. How is it possible that David says the upright? Well, see, how can he think of himself as upright? To be upright would to be legally and ethically right. Job was an upright and virtuous man. It's a highly prized quality in the book of Proverbs. An upright king would have been characterized by justice. And that's what David is saying here. He's saying, let there be justice. When I listen to you as my king, God enthroned in heaven, as I listen to your instruction, and as I find refuge in you, and as I trust you, which you've commanded me to be and to do, then his confidence was, if I listen to your instruction, then I will be considered righteous. Because, God, that's what you've asked me to do. David was not, and he did not consider himself righteous because of who he was. David doesn't say, look at me, I'm David. I'm David. And then we would say, yeah, but what was that thing with Bathsheba that happened, you know, in your life? You killed her husband, and then you slept, you slept with her, tried to cover it up, and that doesn't sound like a righteous or upright man to me. David's righteousness does not come because of who he was. It is solely based upon what he believed and what he did as a result of what he believed. He trusted God. He trusted God. And like his forefather Abraham, it was counted to him as what? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The upright will see his face and live. When we run to the Lord for refuge, when David decided in his heart, I have taken refuge in the Lord and I will not remove myself from the Lord, no matter what happens, the Lord wants us to run to him. And how do we know that the face of God, where is true refuge found? The face of God is turned to us in the face of Jesus. Jesus is the one who goes before and is the shield for us. 
He's the one that goes before his father and exposes himself to danger, the wrath of God, the anger of God. He dies everything. He experiences everything we deserve in God's anger against wickedness. But yet Jesus steps before us, and he is the shield. He is the refuge. When we find refuge in Christ, when we trust in him to be the shield for the the punishment of the sin that we so deserve, we find righteousness in God because the Father says, this is my son, my only son, the son of David, the king. In the face of Jesus Christ, we find refuge. And that was the refuge that David found. He didn't know it was Jesus, but he knew that it would be God's provision somehow of protection for his kingdom and for his son and the son of David, the son of God, the son of man, Jesus of Nazareth, born to Joseph and Mary. Matthew lays out the genealogy. He is our righteousness. He was David's righteousness. Galatians 2.20, Paul says that I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I live. I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. There is a mountain that we can run to. Flee to the mountain, the cornerstone, the rock, Christ Jesus, our Lord, and you will be counted righteous, and you will live, and the upright will see his face. Jesus will look at us, will see his face, and will live. The sermon you've just listened to is a presentation of Church Newtown Square. To find out more about our church, check out churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. You are welcome to copy and distribute this sermon to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.